You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. And there are all sorts of ways that you can contribute to society and the nonprofit sector and improving community and even the world. We mostly think about services that are directly related to someone in need, but there are many indirect ways that we can be helpful to that are equally powerful and important. We do sort of an indirect service at the Wise Giving Alliance by providing tips and tools that help people make good giving decisions, wise giving decisions. But there are others who are connected to what I call the nonprofit infrastructure and provide unique ways for organizations to fundraise and for people to donate and to get information, for that matter, about donating. Today, we're going to talk with a gentleman who's created an organization called Be Generous. And Be Generous is the first ever philanthropic credit product designed for donating now and paying later, just like most Americans do with many of our purchases. Dominic's company allows nonprofits to receive the full donation up front while donors pay interest-free installments of their donation. This means more donations to your nonprofit, larger average donations, and no risk of donor cancellations or pledge defaults. So to talk with me about this is Dominic Callums, who created this organization, and we're going to have a fun conversation about what he's done here and where he sees it going. Dominic, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, Dominic, I'd like to talk to you about your life a little bit, if you don't mind, because I like to do that to give our listeners some idea of your path to helping society, sort of understand how that led you to this particular way of supporting donors and organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had a bit of an interesting life. I was born in Asia, actually in Hong Kong, lived there for a few years, then moved to London, England, where I grew up as a as a young man. And um, it's quite an interesting story, actually. My grandfather uh, grew up in a small uh, town called Edgware in uh, London. And when he was 16 years old, he left high school in order to sell cameras and started a small little store called Dixon's 
small little retail electronics store called Dixon's at 16 years old and grew that into the largest consumer electronics company in the world today in, in Europe, I should say, largest consumer electronics company in Europe. And so today the company has, I think, 45,000 employees. There's around 2,500 stores. It's a publicly traded company. So it's just an extraordinary story of what a 16-year-old high school dropout could accomplish as a as a young entrepreneur. And he was knighted by the Queen of England, which was fascinating and ultimately inducted into the House of Lords in the UK. And he's, he's still alive. And I was just with him about six months ago in London. And, you know, ultimately, he inspired me to want to be an entrepreneur. So I always sort of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in some sense of the word, but I didn't quite know exactly the problem that I wanted to solve. And so I ended up coming to the United States, uh, lived in LA for a while, and then went to university and graduate school in New York City. And I, I went to Columbia University. I did a master's degree in international affairs. When I graduated from school, my, you know, basically everybody I knew went to go work for Wall Street. So I kind of assumed like, all right, this is what you're supposed to do. I guess that's what I'll do. So I went to work for Wall Street as well in one of the large banks. And I was very miserable. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy it at all. And it dawned on me very quickly, like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this because everybody else was so passionate and, and loved the work that they were doing. And I didn't even understand what I was doing. And so, you know, but I was making all this money and it was exciting and this and that. And I ended up quitting really the best job I'd ever had as a you know, recent graduate of, of university to write articles for $300 an article at a think tank in Washington, D.C. So I went from making a fantastic living to, I mean, basically just being broke at $300 an article and having to write these articles and live by every paycheck I'd received. And I was dating someone at the time and she broke up with me and it was just like a mess. So, but I was so happy at this think tank. I, I enjoyed it so much. And I was writing about uh, international affairs and the problems that were going on in the world. And I got asked to interview on BBC World News, which was incredible. And so through a, a strange series of events, I realized that I was really passionate about understanding the problems in the world and trying to come up with solutions to those problems. And I was, like I said, broke, but I was thrilled. I was, I was really happy. And so Eventually, I decided, well, I'm going to take this passion and I'm going to go into government. And so I actually became, I actually started working in the Senate Finance Committee for the chairman's office. So it was a dream job. I was on Capitol Hill, again, getting very paid very, very little. But I was, I was thrilled, you know, I was doing the people's work, so to speak. And um, after a while there, I realized, I sort of came to the same conclusion, unfortunately, that I'm not doing the people's work. <laughs> Politics at that level is, uh, is all about sort of deal making and, and, and it's, Politics is about politics, as they say. So I realized that I, I wanted to do something at the intersection of profit and purpose. I'd worked in the government. I'd worked in the private sector. I knew that I liked the private sector more, but I was kind of obsessed with this idea that there are so many problems in the world and we have to use the tools of the private sector to try to fix some of those problems. And so I, I moved back out to Los Angeles where I'd gone to high school and I linked up with a guy named Trevor Nielsen who had started a company called Global Philanthropy Group which was one of the first private philanthropic consulting firms in the United States. And it was this unbelievable company. And we had all these incredible clients that ranged from very famous celebrities to big five, Fortune 500 corporations to ultra high net worth individuals. And our job was to run, operate, manage, and grow their philanthropic foundations, which was, it was a dream. I was getting paid a private sector wage and I was literally building foundations that worked on everything from veterans rights to adoption rights to gay rights to water conservation climate change i mean animal rights i mean you name it we did it and i did that for several years and then that company actually went on to get acquired and i realized wow you know i can make a great living doing good in the world and that is to me there's nothing better than that 
And uh, so at that point, I started my first company on my own called Giving. Uh, it was a private, uh, it is, it's company still around today. It's a private venture capital backed company. And the premise behind Giving was very simple. We effectively created the Shopify for nonprofits. So Shopify created a digital one-touch solution for instantly launching your e-commerce store. There are 2.2 million e-commerce stores in the United States, and they've been obviously incredibly successful. What most people don't realize is that there are 1.7 million nonprofits in the United States. And the cost, labor, and time, as I'm sure you know, of starting a nonprofit, it's very labor-intensive, it's very costly, and it takes a long time. So what we did is we created an infrastructure using a fiscal sponsor model, and we married that to a front-end technology platform to essentially create an instant nonprofit in a box. And so now you can start your nonprofit project in 30 seconds on gbng.org, which is uh, the company. So I ran that as CEO for several years. Um, I'm now the president of that company and on the board of directors. And basically, the company's done great. But the reason I stepped out of the day-to-day CEO position to, to take my position as the president is to start this new company called Be Generous. And uh, I'll get into that in a moment. But that's really what's led to this you know, incredible new company that I'm building. That's fascinating. I have to tell you, I don't know you. This is the first time that we've ever had a chance to talk. Yep. But there are a number of points of uh, commonality in, uh, in what you've just said. First of all, uh, my daughter went to Columbia. SIPA, I guess, is where you graduated. I went there, yep. <laughs> and, and she also works for uh, one of the large banks. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I have to say she's, she's doing some of the philanthropic work for the bank, although That's great. she'll tell you um, that her colleagues are wonderful people. Also, you indicated that you were one of these people who had this passion to try to figure out how to solve problems. And that is sort of what drove me also to, to be part of the, the nonprofit sector, just having this passion to figure out how things work. You know, I did a little bit of time in the for-profit sector as well. And once you get bitten by nonprofit work, it can be, it can be quite fulfilling. So yeah. um, kudos to you for being willing to operate for $300 a week, although I don't think anybody should have to work for that wage, whether you're doing good or not. Agreed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to see that you found your way to uh, to earning a decent living uh, in the private sector, helping uh, nonprofits. That's something else I wanted to just uh, get into. You know, for a long time, the nonprofit sector was sort of the sole province for generating social good. You know, we used to think about nonprofits as the right place to demonstrate our generosity. But clearly, that's only one of many ways that we can contribute to society. And businesses can do significant work as well. In fact, some weeks ago, Dominic, I had a gentleman on who done some research and discovered that if all of the people who pledge to give away half of their wealth during their lifetime were to do that and scale the available nonprofits to absorb that money, we would still have over $600 billion left over. And so if you were going to actually put that money to use creating social good, you'd have to give to scaled businesses to take Mm -hmm. care of certain problems because they already had the scale in place, like waterworks. Maybe there are lots yep. of local waterworks that don't have the infrastructure or the, the tax base to support 
what they need to create clean water. Well, what if you combined that waterworks with another waterworks and funded it so that that other waterworks could actually do the work necessary? Or housing, low-income housing is another area where significant investment could make a big difference in the quality of people's lives. So there are some other ways that companies can contribute. And you found this particular way that I want to talk about now. So tell us about your latest venture. Sure. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I I just want to say I wrote an op-ed for Forbes a couple years ago, and and I just want to comment on what you said. The premise of the op-ed was basically that a lot of the problems that we have in the world today are actually very fixable, and it doesn't cost that much money. So we all think these problems are incredibly difficult to fix, and they are complex. But if you look at the estimates from either the World Bank or from the Department of Housing and Urban Services or whatever it might be, the, the, the actual estimates to solve things like hunger and homelessness, it's not that much money. It's way less than one would think. Right. I mean, we're talking less than the market capitalization of most of Silicon Valley companies, right? right? We're talking double-digit billions, but you know, way less than we spend on a variety of other silly things. And so I just want to sort of reiterate that I agree with you. And I wrote a whole op-ed about this calling out corporations uh, it was written in Forbes, basically, because corporate giving, as I'm sure you know, is very, very small compared to total overall yep. giving. So total overall giving, the numbers just came out t- a couple of days ago for 2021, $484 billion were donated to nonprofits in the United States in 2021. About 72% of that came from folks like you and I, individuals, only around 6% came from corporations. And so corporations talk a lot about how good they are, but they really need to step up and actually put their money literally where their mouth is on this issue. So if if corporations actually gave what they could give, particularly where corporate profits are, we could solve a substantial number of problems out there. Um, And I don't mean fix, I don't mean sort of make them better. I mean, solve them. We could end homelessness. We could end hunger. I mean, end it. So I I just agree with that. And one actually, that's a little bit of a nice lead into what we're doing here. So The problem today in the United States is not that there's not enough money being donated to nonprofits. It's an actual issue of liquidity. It's that the money's not necessarily being donated at the right time when nonprofits need it most. So any nonprofit listeners will know that about 40% of nonprofit donations come in the last quarter of the year, October, November, December. That's when Giving Tuesday is. That's when obviously tax, people are thinking about their tax deductions and so forth. And so For the first sort of three quarters of the year, nonprofits are having a lot of liquidity issues, despite the fact that, you know, they still need to spend money to fix the issues and their programs and so forth. But money is not coming in at the rate that it necessarily should. And so uh, interestingly, CNN put out a a report not too long ago that said about half of all nonprofits today in the United States have less than one month of cash reserves on hand, which is extraordinary because you're talking about a market of 1.7 million organizations that hold about $3.8 trillion worth of assets and one-tenth of the American workforce. It's a huge part of our economy. And so GuideStar, now Candid, they put out a sort of a subsequent report said that unless something is done to alleviate the liquidity problem that exists in the marketplace today, about four out of 10 nonprofits or 40% of the market will collapse over the next three years. And that would be just a calamity not only for the people that donate to these organizations and work for them, but for the millions of people that rely on nonprofits for food and water and shelter and education and all the other social services that they provide. So the question then becomes, how do you incentivize people to give more to nonprofits and give more throughout the year without stressing people's bank accounts? Because if you look at the trend in giving over time, it's actually gone down. 
So individual giving has actually gone down. About 72% of Americans donate to charity. And while that sounds like a high number, that number used to be higher. It used to be like in the high 80s. So people are giving less and they're actually giving on average less over time. So what we did is we created the first ever philanthropic credit product, which allows someone to donate now and pay later. In effect, allowing a donor to finance a charitable contribution to the nonprofit. The nonprofit gets your donation up front in a lump sum. The donor gets the full gross tax deduction for the entire donation, but the donor pays nothing today. Zero money comes out of the donor's bank account, although the money is received by the nonprofit. And the donor gets to choose over a certain time period, three, six, or nine months, how they want to pay that donation down completely for free. No interest, no fees, no transaction costs, no late fees, completely for free. So basically, at the end of the transaction, the nonprofit's gotten the money, you've gotten the full tax deduction, you've paid nothing today, and you get to pay it at your convenience over time. And so it's it's an extraordinary model. Nobody's ever done it before. And I can tell you that we've raised a uh, essentially a, a credit facility of over $100 million to do this. So we have over $100 million of capital that we are lending out to donors to give to their favorite nonprofits. And what you'll see in the coming weeks is you'll see a button on your favorite nonprofit's website that says, donate now, pay later. And you click that button, and in a matter of minutes, you'll be able to make a donation. They'll receive the donation. You get your tax deduction. You pay nothing today. Wow. So how does the company earn its return on investment then? Great question. Okay. So- I was always a firm believer that it did not make sense to charge donors to give away money, right? So if you look at a lot of the, even today, some of the nonprofit platforms, they charge a fee, they put a fee to the donor to give away money. And I always thought that was a bad idea because you want to incentivize philanthropic giving. And if you're charging people to do that, like if we were to charge interest as an example, that would be a a, a huge disincentive because you're incurring a cost to give away your money, which is the opposite of what we want to do. And so- what we've seen in our early testing, we've, we just ran a big survey with a, over a 1,000 donors about our product. And what we saw is about 83% of donors who saw our product and saw our video in t- said that they would double their intended donation to their nonprofit wow. if they had the ability to pay it off over time, but the nonprofit received the capital up front. Wow. And that really makes sense in the context of the credit markets. Because think about anything like a car payment, Right. Or a, or a mortgage or a credit card. Most people would never buy a house if they have to put all their money down right away. Most people would never buy a car if they have to put all their money down right away. Most people wouldn't buy that expensive TV if they had to put that money down right away. But when you allow people to pay over time, the vast majority of people say, yeah, yeah, I can afford to pay this over time. So they're willing to come out of pocket more. So we're seeing the same thing in the nonprofit space. We're using that logic to do good in the world. So if 82% of donors are doubling their donation, the nonprofit's getting a ton more money. So the way that we make money is that on we don't charge the nonprofits any SaaS fee, any subscription fee, or any fixed costs. So it's free for the nonprofit from that perspective. We only charge a success fee. And what that means is that when a successful donate now, pay later transaction has come into the nonprofit, we charge the nonprofit basically a percentage of that transaction. And so on a net basis, after we charge that fee, because we're seeing around 82% of donors indicating a doubling, the nonprofits are coming out, you know, are going to come out a lot with a lot more money over time. And of course, it's completely free for the donor. Okay. So is there a set transaction fee, uh, not transaction fee, or success fee that the nonprofit will pay? So it actually varies. And the reason it varies is because we allow the donor the option of covering a portion of that fee. So I'm sure... 
you yourself and other donors who are listening have, when you go currently now, when you go to donate to a nonprofit, oftentimes it'll say, do you want to add 5%, 3%, 2% to your donation to cover the transaction costs? And opt-in rates for those are very, very high. I mean, over 80% in most cases. So we are doing the same thing. We're saying, if you want, totally optional, you can opt to cover a portion of the transaction processing costs. And so that's why the rate varies. Okay. And is there a maximum for the rate though? What's the max rate? The the maximum a nonprofit would ever pay would be 16.99%. Okay. All right. So cool. So if I I was going to get a donation of $200, so I'm paying about $32. That, that's actually a perfect example. So okay. example would be like, I don't know, let's just let's just say your favorite. Let's just say um, the Red Cross. Make mm-hmm. it easy. The Red Cross. Right. So, so it's just an example. But imagine you normally donate 100 bucks to the Red Cross mm-hmm. and you turn on the TV. You see there's this terrible hurricane that happened. You feel compelled to give or the situation in Ukraine or whatever it might be. So now you can go to the – you would be able to in theory. <laughs> go to the Red Cross. You'll see a Donate Now Pay Later button and we'll say, okay, how much do you want to donate today, Art? Now, remember, you normally give them 100 bucks, and the money would come out of your account. After transaction costs, they would probably get $97, $98. You get the tax deduction, the transaction's over. Well, now we say, how much do you want to give? And you say, I'm here to give 100 bucks. Well, we would say to you, instead of giving $100 today, why not give $20 a month for the next 10 months, mm-hmm. as an example? Mm-hmm. So you might say, or we'd say, why don't you give $22 a month for the next nine months? Because that's actually, we offer a nine-month plan. So mm-hmm. $22.22 would be the breakup. And so about 82% of people have indicated they would accept that offer. Okay. So you say to yourself, okay, what's $22 a month? I'm happy to do that. Right. The nonprofit now actually does receive the $200. Mm -hmm. You do receive the full $200 tax deduction. You pay nothing today. In 30 days, the 2222 comes out of your bank account with no interest or fees. And then we basically would pull back, let's just say an example, 10%. That's just an Mm -hmm. example I'm making of that transaction from the nonprofit. So the nonprofit is netting out in this example, 180 bucks. And remember, you normally give them a hundred bucks. Well, that's a significant amount of money more for them. So they're thrilled, of course, Mm -hmm. and it's cost you nothing to do the transaction. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of an interesting and creative approach to increasing the participation in the donating situation. So, well, I'm on a subcommittee created by this group called the Generosity Commission. Mm-hmm. I know that commission. Okay. Yeah. Well, we need to get you in front of them. Okay. Because we've been talking about how we could inspire more individuals to give. And by the way, my numbers are a little more bleak than yours. Okay. Uh, we found back in, I think it's t- back in 2003 or so, that about 66% of families were donating to charity. Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, that number had gone down to about 49.5%. Yeah. You, so it's, uh, it's declined rapidly and dramatically over less than a 20-year stretch. And, you know, I kind of worry, well, what happens if we go another 20 years with that kind of decline? Uh, our country will be very different than what it currently is. And yeah. uh, I don't know if it will yeah. be different good <laughs> because we no, no, need you're, to you're, support institutions, not only absolutely right. because we talk about, well, Americans still may be generous. They may be giving to people directly, you know, yeah. not, not going through intermediaries. And there's been a lot of talk about disintermediation in our world, as you know. Yep. But we also know that you can't just be activist. 
Right. Being an activist right. is important. It generates attention. It gets us focused on a particular problem or set of problems. But ultimately, you need an organization to fix it. An organization right. has to be in place to take those ideas and make them happen. And so if we stop supporting organizations, we're not going to get a whole lot done in my estimation, or we have to really question how we're going to get things done if mm-hmm. you know people are just going to act individually. So we need examples and ideas like this particular one that you've created. And I give you a lot of credit for using your background and your skills and your connections to create something that very few people either would have had the orientation to create or in some cases the means to create. We need more people thinking that way. What was it that made you consider this? How did you pull all these threads together into a product? What, when did yeah. that light actually go on and say, hey, you know, I might have something here? And I appreciate you saying that. And, and I will say this was incredibly difficult to build. I mean, I mean, incredibly difficult. I mean, we, it, we've effectively created a new credit product. I mean, yeah. it's a new asset class in the banking world that no one's ever done this before. And imagine trying to, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine, but imagine trying to convince several banks to give you hundreds of millions of dollars to give away is not an easy proposition. And the economics need to make sense. The incentive structure needs to make sense. So it's very, very tough to build. And we raised also a, about a $10 million venture capital round to build this company as well, private capital to build it. So also a hard proposition to do in the current environment. But you know, th- this idea really interestingly came about by looking at the buy now, pay later market. So I, I don't know if you have heard of these companies called Affirm or Klarna or Afterpay or Sezzle or Zip. PayPal does it now. They're, they've created a subset of products that are called buy now, pay later, where you can essentially go and and buy a product online, you'll get the product now, they'll front the money to the merchant, the merchant will receive the money, and you pay for it over time, usually with some interest payment. Um, And so the way they make money is they make money two ways, they charge the merchants money to accept, they charge the merchants a fee to accept this um, type of payment method. But they also charge the consumers oftentimes an interest rate, which is very different than us, obviously, that we don't do that. But you know, I looked at this marketplace, and I actually happened to know one of the earliest uh, founding members of one of the largest one, one of these companies. And I had a conversation with them, and I explained what we wanted to do, not knowing what their reaction would be. I said, "Look, we want to build the first ever donate now, pay later technology company, philanthropic credit product, et cetera, et cetera." And I explained the idea, and she was like, "Very smart, very, very smart." And I think you know, art ultimately the most compelling sort of reason I did this is really two reasons. One. It needs to happen, to your point a minute ago. Philanthropic giving is massively on the decline. I read this crazy statistic a couple of weeks ago that said half of all philanthropic giving in the United States comes from 1% of the American public, which kind of makes sense if you think about it, because income inequality has skyrocketed right. um, and more, less and less people are getting essentially wealthier and wealthier at the expense of everybody else. And those people, good for them. They're giving away a lot of that money, and that's great. But you know, giving people the dignity to be able to support their favorite philanthropic organizations is important. And what's interesting is when you actually talk to lower income Americans, as a percentage of income, they give away more money, right? Because they really care, they're passionate, oftentimes they're religious. What's really fascinating is when you talk to people that have benefited from nonprofit services, they almost always want to give back. But a lot of times they can't. And so our product would allow them to give back without incurring any cost. We're not going to charge them any money or interest or get them stuck in a debt spiral or anything like that. 
So I think the first reason I created it is because I fundamentally believe it could help solve the problem of decreasing philanthropic giving. And I think on a more personal level, the second reason I created it is because I love a good challenge in the space. And this is a, this is not easy to build. <laughs> it's, it took a lot of effort, a lot of time. No, I can't imagine how you, you, you had to get government, you had to get the banking regulations had to be um, really challenging brutal. to work through. Br- brutal. Yeah. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And yeah. Uh, you, then you had to uh, actually get people to lend you money or invest money in, in your company, which may or may yeah. not have been easy, depending on you know who you are and how connected you are. But yeah. um, I haven't found anybody to invest like that in any business I had. So, so yeah, it was, it was for that. <laughs> It's not easy. No, it's not easy. No, and it's a hundred million dollars, and and who knows how much more it could be later on. And the money, I guess, recycles too, right? So it's it's a revolving exactly mm-hmm. right. So it's a revolving facility. So as people pay their philanthropic uh, loans, essentially off, the facility tops back up again. So in theory, in theory, we could loan more than a hundred million dollars, but depending on the payment you know, velocity and so forth. But we could actually lend quite a bit more than a hundred million dollars in theory. Yeah. So what is your um, expected default rate? That's a great question. So if you look at the buy now, pay later space, average defaults hover around Mm 3.8%. So they're actually reasonably low. But for two reasons, we actually think our default rates will be under that. The first reason is that we've run some consumer modeling and some donor modeling and some stoner studies. and, And we found that the average FICO or credit score of a donor is actually better than the average FICO score of a consumer. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because people who give away money tend to have a little bit of money, and people who tend to have more money tend generally to have better credit scores. So that's the first sort of aspect. You're actually dealing with a pool of people who have better credit scores. But the second reason is much more interesting, I think. So there are 1.7 million nonprofits in America, and the question is, how do any one of us decide where we want to donate? Well, it turns out that philanthropy is highly personal to people. And oftentimes, in fact, almost exclusively, people will donate to causes and organizations they have a personal connection to. So I always tell people, you know, I don't donate to the uh, Cirrhosis Liver Foundation because I'm not affected by that in any way. But my grandfather has Parkinson's disease, so I donate to the Parkinson's Foundation because it's personal to me. Or I donate to the ASPCA because I love animals. I have a beautiful dog. It's very personal to me. So because of that sort of moral, visceral connection that people have with their organizations, the idea that you would not pay down your philanthropic plan is totally anathema to people. I mean, people hate that idea that they would just sort of screw over the nonprofit. Now, I will tell you, in our case, if a donor does not continue to pay, it actually has no effect on the nonprofit because the nonprofit has already received that money. That's one of the big benefits of our product. The nonprofit is insulated against loss and risk. They already have that capital. But even the sort of association of like, I took this money out to give away and now I'm not going to pay it down. People get really weird about that. And so they don't want to default. So we think for those two reasons, default rates are going to be actually even lower than 3.8%. Well, and you, and you make a good point about the nonprofit being insulated. That's a, a definitely strong incentive for them to join this program, mm-hmm. knowing that they potentially will get more money. They'll have to pay some to cover the success rate. Right. But if the donor doesn't finish the transaction, they're getting paid. So your right. fund is essentially covering them. So that seems like a right. that seems like a fair trade. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're insulating me from risk. At the same time, 
the cost that I'm going to have to pay is relatively modest. And now let's talk about marketing of the product. Mm -hmm. Is your company doing the marketing? And I guess you're marketing in two different ways, right? You're marketing to charities to get them to participate, or does that happen automatically? I guess it would have, they have to agree to be a part of this. Right. And so you have to get charities to participate, first of all. And then secondly, you have to get people to use the product. So how are you getting the word out about what you're doing? So absolutely. So I've been in this space for 10 years, sort of what I call fill tech, philanthropy technology. Mm-hmm. And so I am pretty plugged into the nonprofit space in general. Mm-hmm. So we've already taken this out to hundreds, hundreds of nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Now we're in a closed testing environment right th- at this exact moment. But in the next few weeks, this is going live. And what you'll start to see is you'll start to see this button in a lot of places. The good news is that when the nonprofits understand the model and the economics, almost all of them are interested in using it because they say to themselves, there's no risk. You're insulating me against 100% of the risk. That's right. There's no loss. And basically, because donors give more when they're allowed to pay over time, which is a very common sort of psychological principle in general, nonprofits are essentially virtually guaranteed to make more money using this product, even on a net basis after paying the fees. And what a lot of nonprofits really like, too, is when you compare this to monthly giving. So this is something we haven't talked about yet, but about half of all donations today done in the United States are done on a monthly giving program. Sustainable sort of monthly donor... gifts, yeah. Exactly right. So a donor puts in their debit card and says, like, charge my you know account 10 bucks a month, whatever it is. Now, the average one-time donation in the United States is, a, is anywhere from like $177 to $215. Estimates sort of range, the average one-time online donation. The average monthly gift in the United States is $54. So if you annualize that, it's, that's over 620 bucks. So this goes to the exact principle I was talking about a minute ago, monthly versus one time. Now to the donor, our product is just a monthly gift. It's, it's the same exact thing to the donor as if they gave the nonprofit the credit card and said, just charge me you know, X amount a month. The difference is, in our example, now the nonprofit gets all that money up front so they don't have to wait for it to drip in. So they love that, of course. But the other point, which is very interesting, is that about 50% of donors who pay monthly, end up canceling before the first year is up. And oftentimes that's things like expired credit cards, expired debit cards, whatever it might be. They're not even intending to cancel, but their payment method expires. Well, in the exact same scenario, if somebody is using our system to do that, the nonprofit bears no risk. The nonprofit still gets all the money up front and they don't even have to wait for it to drip in. And if the cancellation rate happens, it doesn't matter to the nonprofit. Um, So it's really a no-brainer to the nonprofit. So You'll start to see this out there a lot. We have a sales team. We have a marketing team. And then to your point, secondly, about we have to market to donors. Yeah. And you're exactly right. But instead of sort of us marketing to donors, the nonprofits are highly incentivized to get the word out because a transaction done on Donate Now, Pay Later will net them more money. So really, ultimately, it's up to the nonprofits to sort of say, hey, we prefer you to donate to us using Donate Now, Pay Later as opposed to monthly giving or pledging. Pledging is another thing. I mean, pledges are oftentimes hard to collect. People make a pledge. They have to be collected at some point. Using this product, nobody really should ever pledge again. Because if you say to your donor, if you're a development officer and you say to your donor, look, would you give us $1,000? And the donor says, well, look, it's February. Come back in you know December and I'll give you that 1000 bucks." In some ways, that's a liability. You need, now need to wait in, you know, the nine, 10 months and hope that they're going to be able to pay it at that time. Now you can turn around to them and say, forget the pledge. Why don't you just use Donate Now, Pay Later? We'll get the thousand bucks. 
and you can just pay it off over the next 12 months mm-hmm. at your convenience, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so it's a huge value to nonprofits that way too. So what will what happens? So if if I want to as, as a as a donor, if I want to participate, is there like an agreement we sign or something like that that says how does yeah. that work? Yeah, it's a, so it's like a clickable terms of service, okay. basically. So basically, you'll go in. It looks like kind of like a normal donor flow. It'll yeah. say, how much do you want to donate? And what over what time period would you like to pay this off? Yeah. Knowing that the nonprofit will get that money today. You put in your basic information. I think it's your name, your birthday, your email address, your physical address. So we can verify an identity. It's yeah. really that person. And then they get presented with their donate now, pay later plan. They accept the terms of service, which basically says, hey, here's your plan. You're going to pay it off in X number of installments with no interest. Uh, and that's it. And then the money is sent to the nonprofit and you'll get your ta- and the donor gets their tax deduction. If I'm one of the three percent, you know, something comes up, I just can't meet my obligation. What happens yep. to me? Or am I kind of in trouble with that? Great question. So we have a fantastic hardship loan program where basically if somebody says, look, I I lost my job, it's been hard for me, the economy is not good, whatever, we'll work with them to get them back on track. So we'll say to them, maybe we'll say, skip your next payment, no problem. Or, hey, look, if you pay X amount, you can pay off your loan early and less than the full amount. Or, hey, we'll put your loan on pause right now and we'll revisit it at this period. So, you know, the goal is never to stress people out for wanting to be good people and philanthropic. That is absolutely not the goal. And because there's no late fees, by the way, and there's no interest, there's nothing punitive about it. Sure, sure. So whenever they get back to it, they can get back to it. We'll, we'll work with them and we'll figure out the best solution that doesn't stress them out, that keeps them basically on some sort of cadence with their payments. And there's no late fees again. So it we're not going to you know punish them basically for doing that. You could also be processing millions of transactions. That's the other thing, right? I mean, so, so you, have, you must have a pretty amazing technology to be able to manage all that. Take a long time to build. Our CTO is incredible. He uh, used to run engineering at MasterCard. And before that was at PayPal and Visa. He's a ex- very experienced CTO in the fintech world. Great product team, great compliance team. I mean, it's been an, it's an extraordinary team that's built this. They've all come together and sort of coalesced around the vision that I've had. And we've been building it over sort of very quietly over the last 18 months. So it's taken us almost two years to build and raise the appropriate capital. But it's going to be a fantastic help to nonprofits once it's live. So going to be. So now let's talk just we're getting to the end of the interview. What's your vision for this? Where do you think this can can go? What do you, what can you actually do with this five, 10 years from now? So if you look at the buy now, pay later space, which is really, in some sense, there's some comparisons here. Um, what they say is basically, look, uh, you know, we can increase the average order value of a transaction by 80% plus. That's kind of their big claim. I mean, oftentimes they, they use different percentages, but their big claim is we can increase the average order value of a transaction by X percent. Usually it's 50, 60, 70%. And if you look at the volume of loans that they're doing, I mean, they're over four or $5 billion a year for just one company. So it's extraordinary amounts of capital going to e-commerce merchants online. My vision is to be able to sit here in five years and have the same interview with you and say, Art, we increase the average donation value by 85, 86% on an individual transaction basis. And as a result of that, over the last five years, we've increased philanthropic giving in the United States by 30, 40, 50 billion dollars. Imagine if we could do that, how much good we can do in the world, how much liquidity we could open up for these nonprofits. And ultimately, you hope that money trickles down to where it's supposed to go, to the people who need it, to the programs, to the communities. And that is ultimately the goal. Well, Dominic, listen, I want to thank you for for sharing this amazing story and product that you have with us. 
and also giving us your background, which is indeed fascinating, you know, really interesting. <laughs> you. You've touched on a number of things that I've also connected. We didn't even talk about the Senate Finance Committee. We'll have, right. to, we'll have to have that conversation another time. No, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to to share this with us. I obviously will be following this very closely, so we'll have to definitely keep in touch. I know a number of the accredited charities that uh, are part of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance will will be a part of this, I'm sure, and we should talk about that too at some point. Absolutely, so I'd love uh, that. And to all of our listeners, let me just say, you know, you've been listening to Dominic Callums, who's the the founder and creator of Be Generous. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the coming months. I know you'll be paying attention. It might You might find it to be an interesting way for you to up your philanthropy and support the favorite causes. If you're a charity, obviously, this might be something you want to look into to see how it might increase what you can get up front and maybe even in the long run. So let's all work together to create more impact. This is a product that could potentially do that. Thank you so much for having me, Art. I really enjoy talking about this subject in general, how to increase philanthropic giving. And it's it's rare to be able to talk to someone who, who gets it as well and understands the numbers and, and the problem we're trying to solve. So I very much appreciate you having me uh, you know, on the program. You know, for anyone who is interested, our website is B, just the letter B, generous.com. And uh, we'd love to have you as a client. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on all major podcast platforms if you want to subscribe. I hope you will. Uh, there are a number of other really interesting shows that we've done over the last couple of years. And I'll hopefully see you back here next week for a new edition of the Heart of Giving podcast. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.